And if that music doesn't get your blood flowing, I don't know what does. Hey everybody, welcome to the first episode of the Tri-State Basketball Report podcast. I'm your host, Brian DeNovellis, and I am thrilled to be talking college basketball in the New York Tri-State area. That includes New York, New Jersey, and Connecticut. The major schools we will focus most of our attention on are Rutgers, Seton Hall, St. John's, and Connecticut. You can follow me on social media on Twitter, at Brian Dino. That's at B-R-Y-A-N-D-E-N-O. But I have to give you a little heads up. I do tweet a lot about Seton Hall basketball. Now, before I begin, I'd like to tell you a little bit about myself and what makes me qualified to talk college basketball in the tri-state. First of all, I've been a sports anchor and reporter in the tri-state area since 1995. That's 26 years of experience. And even though I'm now a full-time teacher at Homedale High School in Homedale, New Jersey, I still freelance in the business during the summers, during the fall, throughout the year. I watch a ton of college basketball in the Big East and the Big Ten. In fact, I make it a point to watch every Seton Hall and Rutgers games, and I've caught almost every UConn and St. John's game as well this season. Basically, I'm a college hoops junkie, mostly in the Big East and Big Ten. I have been since the Big East started in 79-80. I grew up in Connecticut. I was a UConn fan growing up, went to games at the old field house when players like Corny Thompson, Mike McKay, Chuck Alexinis, Earl Kelly, those were the stars. But when I went to Seton Hall in 88-89, that was my freshman year. You remember that year, Seton Hall Pirate fans, right? The team that lost in overtime, that overtime game to Michigan in the national championship. I have been a Pirates fan ever since. But this is not a Seton Hall podcast, not a UConn podcast. It's a tri-state basketball podcast. And this is as good a time as any to start a podcast in this tri-state area because all four major teams in the tri-state are actually in the conversation for the NCAA tournament. For the last five years or so, it's been all about Seton Hall. UConn hasn't been a player, all right? They've been in the AAC, they've been in purgatory, but boy, oh boy, did they come back this year with a bang, right? Dan Hurley and UConn really know how to make a uh, re-entrance to the Big East tournament in grand style. So heading into the conference tournament this week, UConn and Rutgers, they appear to be locks for the NCAA tournament. Quite possibly, we could have either St. John's or Seton Hall also in the NCAA tournament. How great would that be? Could we have all four? It's a long shot, but it's likely two, could be three. All right. And of course, if any of those teams actually win the Big East or Big Ten tournaments, they would earn the conference automatic bid. All right. So let's begin with the Big Ten and Rutgers. Rutgers, they're in. Okay. You finish 500 in the toughest conference in the country, you're in. Rutgers fans, oh man, you have been waiting a long time for this moment, right? Anyone like me in their early 50s, you were in college the last time Rutgers went to the big dance. Rutgers was in the Atlantic 10, okay? George H.W. Bush was our president. Not even George W., it was his dad, H.W. The Scarlet Knights, they deserve it. I am a huge fan of Steve Peichel. I'm so old, I remember watching Steve Peichel light it up 
as an All-State basketball player at St. Paul. Okay, I didn't play against him. I was a freshman. He was a senior. I did play against his, his brother, Tim. Uh, I went to South Catholic High School. They were at St. Paul. So, I don't know, maybe it's a stretch, but there's a little connection there, right? But I, I've been a huge fan of Peichel since uh, he was a coach. He was a player at UConn. Then we went out to Stony Brook. And they take Rutgers. They take the emotion, they take the direction, they take the personality of Steve Peichel. Talk about rolling up your sleeves and just playing in-your-face defense. I love the way this team plays defense. Sure, they can't, they can't hit the side of a barn when they shoot a three. And they might be, well, they are the worst free throw shooting team in the Big Ten. Okay, one of the worst in the country. So in a tight ball game, you do not want to see Miles Johnson going to the free throw line. You do not want to see practically any of these players go to the free throw line in a close game. But they have senior leadership. They have upperclassmen who get at it each and every minute. And I really appreciate the way they play basketball because their defense keeps them in every game and gives them a chance to win, even if they are three for 21 from three. All right? When they're shooting and executing their offense, and shooting in rhythm and hitting those mid-range jumpers and getting to the rim, that's their game. Don't shoot all those threes. They don't need to. If they shoot 10 threes, that's fine. Get the high percentage 18-foot jump shots and in. All right, they're led by a strong senior backcourt, Geo Baker and Jacob Young. That's an excellent senior backcourt of Young and Baker. They took a chance to come here four years ago. They were coming to a Rutgers program that was promising to build something and coming out of the darkness of the bowels of the Big Ten, right? So they deserve all the praise. This is a blue-collar team. They're not made up of blue-chip players. These are blue-collar players who get the most out of their talents. And what a win over Minnesota. They could not afford to lose another game. All right, after getting torched at Nebraska. But they almost did. They blew a 14-point lead in the second half. Minnesota ties the game on a three by Marcus Carr, who couldn't hit anything in that game. And when Minnesota tied that game with a minute to go, you had a bad feeling. You had a feeling that it was all slipping away. And then Rutgers actually loses the ball there's a scramble on the floor. Minnesota gets it. Two guys are streaking up court. They had a layup. They had a breakaway. And Jacob Young comes out of nowhere like Deion Sanders picks off the pass. Rutgers has a last chance. I believe it was Geo Baker. The ball looked good, but was short. Man, did it look good off his hands. And they go to overtime. And now you're thinking new life. I mean, Rutgers could have lost that game, blown the lead. They would have been looking at, you know, an 8-9 game, possibly against Michigan State, possibly losing that game. And who knows if they would have gotten in. Woulda, coulda, shoulda. It didn't happen because Jacob Young balled out in overtime. He did everything. Scored the first two points. Had a couple of assists. Drove the lane. Up three. Under a minute to go weaves through the defense, lays it up, and draws the foul. Then he acts like a human pogo stick and is jumping all up and down. 
Listen, I know Jacob Young is careless with the ball, turns the ball over, but there is no more exciting player on that Rutgers team than Jacob Young. He is the straw that stirs the drink. And sometimes you have to live and die with him. I'm not saying he should start. Let him come off the bench. But man, does he bring energy. Man, does he get steals. Man, does, does he do all the little intangibles. And they follow his lead. Okay? He is exciting to watch. Jacob Young saved Rutgers' season. He is one of many reasons. But in that game against Minnesota, he is the reason why they won. He is the reason why Rutgers is going to the NCAA tournament for the first time in 30 years. 30 years. None of these players were alive. Like I said, their parents were probably in high school or college. When their season was on the line, the seniors, those are the players you need to make plays. The seniors made plays, okay? So Rutgers ends up now finishing seventh in the Big Ten. I mean, what a seesaw roller coaster weekend it was. They finished seventh because Maryland's stunning upset to Penn State. How does Maryland go from being a lock to losing their last two games against Northwestern and Penn State? Maryland loses to Penn State twice. That is a strange team to figure out, by the way. They are so streaky. So the Terps go from being a lock. Now they have to play Michigan State in the 8-9 game. Good luck with that. Okay, Michigan State, they've beaten three top five teams in the country. Name another bubble team that has done that. Okay, so they're in. So instead of Rutgers playing Michigan State, they get Indiana Thursday at 6.30. They've beaten them twice already. I love Rutgers in this game. Yeah, sure, it's tough to beat a team three times, but... It's just a great matchup for Rutgers. All right, and worst case scenario, even if they lose, even if they lose, they'll still get in the NCAA tournament, but they're not. All right, the Hoosiers are reeling. They've lost five straight. Head coach Archie Miller, he's on the hot seat. His brother's on the hot seat in Arizona, but I love this matchup for Rutgers. So a couple of things looking ahead to this week, Thursday, 6.30 p.m., all right, uh, Get out to a big lead, Rutgers. You know, establish control in the first eight minutes of this game. Don't give Indiana life like you did at home and you built that double-digit deficit when you had to claw your way back and win that game. The guards, they're always the key. They need big games out of Geo Baker and Ron Harper. They have torched Indiana for 76 points combined in the two wins. Baker and Harper have averaged together 18 points a game against Indiana in the two wins. If Rutgers wins, I really think they will. Uh, they'll get a matchup Friday night against Illinois and their All-American candidate, Io DeSumo. Illinois is playing as well as anyone in the country. But guess who beat them earlier this year? Now, I know it was back in December. I know it was at Rutgers. Obviously, Illinois will be a favorite, but just saying, Rutgers did hand Illinois one of their four losses. So maybe it's not as bad a matchup as you think. Money on the line, I like Illinois. Now, what if Rutgers pulls the upset, shocks the world? Could they move as high as a seven seed in the NCAA tournament? 
Why not? Absolutely. But we're getting ahead of ourselves. One game at a time, beat Indiana, lock, lock, lock that bid. I think it's already a lock, but lock it up. And then take your shot against Illinois. I can't wait for that game to happen, should it happen. Okay, so that's Rutgers. Now on to the Big East. There are storylines galore in the Big East tournament, and there always are. We'll touch upon several. We'll try to keep the focus. We will on, on St. John, Seton Hall, and UConn. And let's begin with the surprise team of the year. Is there a better story in the Big East Conference this year than St. John's? Their stock is up. It is way up, okay? They were left for dead a couple of weeks ago, and they closed the season with two huge second-half comebacks against Providence and then Seton Hall on Saturday at Karnaseka Arena. And oh, by the way, they won without Posh Alexander, the amazing freshman and point guard who was co-defensive player of the year in the Big East. All right, he shares that honor with you, UConn's Isaiah Whaley. A freshman, co-defensive player of the year, sitting on the bench, your point guard, your floor general, and then St. John's. <laughs> I mean, you can't even make this up. St. John's falls behind 18 to nothing. And of course, Seton Hall fans couldn't even find the game because Fox was showing the end of the NASCAR race. Okay, I respect NASCAR. But when it was over, they had to interview the winning driver, the runner-up. Pirate fans were scrambling to find it on, on the Fox Sports Go app. They're up 16-0. Then Miles Kale dunks it down the lane. And you're saying, it's over. But Seton Hall fans know better. It's never over. St. John's roars back. They chip away. They cut it to five. Seton Hall settles things. It's 10 at the half. It's 38-28. Seton Hall at the half. Second half. Oh, baby. The Johnnies came out, pressed full court. They were relentless. They couldn't hit anything in the first half. Well, they hit everything in the second half. Julian Champagny starts to heat up. He scores 22 points. They get big buckets from Greg Williams and Rasheem Dunn. The bench for St. John's. Unreal. 33 points from the bench. St. John scores 53 points in the second half. They shoot 67%. At one point, they had hit 14 of 17 field goals. That's like Giannis territory in the NBA All-Star game. Right, Giannis? Did you see that? 16 for 16? I mean, listen, there was no defense being played in the NBA All-Star game, and there was certainly no defense from Seton Hall in the second half. Incredible comeback or epic collapse? Obviously, it depends on which side of the fence you're, you're on, but you can't have one without the other. But it starts with the head coach, Mike Anderson. It feeds off that. It's no coincidence that St. John's has had three comebacks from double digits this year. Two in the last week against Providence and Seton Hall. Mike Anderson is a blessing. Mike Anderson is a miracle for St. John's. 
All this guy does is win. He has never, ever had a losing season in 19 years as a head coach. Think about that. Even your first year, even when you're taking over a program, you have one blip along the way? No, not Mike Anderson. He has never had a losing season in 19 years. Think about that for a second. And then think about this. Mike Anderson wasn't even on the short list of candidates to be St. John's head coach when they were searching for a coach after Chris Mullen basically ran the program into the ground. They wanted Bobby Hurley. Bobby Hurley said no. Gets a bigger, fatter contract to stay at Arizona State. Man, that would have been nice, huh? Bobby Hurley and Dan Hurley coaching in the Big East, brother against brother. But you know what? They didn't need Bobby Hurley. Then it was Tim Clues. Everybody wanted Tim Clues. He said no. One by one, they all said no. Mike Anderson, who? What? They hired who? Wait, the coach from Arkansas? Wait, he's not coaching Arkansas anymore? All right, that's how bizarre of a coaching search that was. And now Mike Anderson, in my mind, is without question the Big East coach of the year. St. John's was picked ninth in the Big East, ninth in the preseason poll out of 11 teams. St. John's started the year one in five in the Big East, left for dead. Well, they finished in fourth place. How does that happen? They won nine out of their last 13 games to finish 10 and nine and get the fourth seed in the Big East tournament. That is your coach of the year, ladies and gentlemen. He can flat out coach. And there are some great coaches in the Big East. But this year, Mike Anderson is the Big East coach of the year. And those awards were not announced as of this recording. So I hope and pray Mike Anderson got that. Because there have been years where, no offense to Jay Wright, he's a national coach of the year. He's won two national championships. But there were years when Jay Wright won it with the best squad and Kevin Willard should have won it two years ago. But this year, Mike Anderson is your Big East Coach of the Year. And what a staff he has, right? What a staff he has, including Van Macon. All right, Mike Anderson has no ties to the New York Tri-State area, no ties. And yet, he's smart enough to go out and get Van Macon, a Queens native who had a lot of success at Rutgers as an assistant coach, who helped bring in Posh Alexander, your Big East co-defensive player of the year, who was the reason why Julian Champagny came here. First team, all Big East as a sophomore. Most improved player in the conference, along with Xavier Zach Fremantle from Bergen Catholic. Oh, by the way, how did Zach Fremantle from Bergen Catholic end up in Cincinnati with Xavier? Really? Rutgers? Seton Hall? St. John's, you missed the boat on that guy. But no worries. They can recruit in St. John's. And Mike Anderson, Van Macon, and staff have proven that they can do that. So now the Johnnies have an incredible season. And they draw a fast-fading, 
a team that has really gone south over the last three weeks in Seton Hall. That quarterfinal matchup is Thursday at 3 p.m. St. John's stock is up. Seton Hall stock is down. Way down. Two teams headed in opposite directions, right? And Seton Hall is a tough team to figure out. Three weeks ago, they were 10-5, and five, right? Four games remaining. And like all Seton Hall fans do, like all fans do, I mean, I'm guilty of this too, right? You start looking at the schedule. We're 10-5. and five. Two games against Butler and Georgetown. Got to win both of those. And then you split UConn and St. John's. I know what Seton Hall fans were thinking because I'm one of them. Right? Three and one in your final four games. You're staring at 13 and six. All right. Worst case, two and two. We can split those four games. Right? Even if you win two of two, then you're talking 12 and seven. That's solid. That's a lock. Nope. Lost to Georgetown. Hoyas, big second half. They shoot 50%. Scored 43 points in the second half. Next up, Butler. That team has had more injuries than the New York Giants, than the New York Yankees. I mean, they've lost everybody. I don't even know how Butler's fielding a team. Butler goes out and shoots 58% in the second half. They hit 15 of 16 free throws. Everything was going in. 58% in the second half. The worst shooting team in the Big East goes 58% in the second half. Notice a trend here. Then Seton Hall loses to UConn. Guess what the Huskies shot in the second half? I'll give you a hint. It rhymes with nifty. UConn shoots 50% in the second half. They score 42 points. Next up, St. John's. Gets worse. I already said it. St. John's goes for 67% in the second half. They score 53 points. Where's the D? Defense has been MIA all, all season. The defense has been MIA, right? I mean, guys are pointing at each other. Left and right, Seton Hall. How come when everyone plays Seton Hall, these teams come in and they, and they have their best shooting performances of the season? Guys are wide open. Wide open. And then you see somebody from a distance. Mamu, Kale, like running out. And they're like, they're not even close. Like, how do you leave that guy wide open? Oh, how do you leave that guy open? What about that guy? Is it chemistry? Is it communication? Is it the defensive philosophy? Not paying attention to detail? Falling asleep? Overcommitting in the lane and not giving yourself that ability to close out? It's all of the above. And not only is the defense going MIA, but the offense too for long stretches. I mean, they can start out so hot, and then you know the cold stretch is coming. Right now, Seton Hall, maybe the week off will do them good. I mean, it can't do them any worse.
I, I think it's safe to say their confidence is low. I mean, you read the quotes after the game, right? And you, you can see guys are afraid to pull the trigger. They're giving up wide open shots to then take it into the bigs and get their shots blocked. Where are the leaders on this team? They're good guys. By all means, these seniors, Kale, Mamu Kailashvili, Reynolds, they're all good guys. But they're just, they're missing that alpha dog. They're missing that lead guy, that Quincy McKnight, that Derek Gordon. Without a leader, without a locker room presence, without somebody to rally the troops and refocus them, it's hard. It is hard. Look, if, if their confidence is low, then, then how can Seton Hall fans have confidence that they're going to suddenly turn it on at Madison Square Garden? Look, in a one-game situation, anything can happen. Can Seton Hall win? Yes. Can they beat St. John's at the Garden? Yes. It's not like there's 19,000 fans, right? It's 10% capacity. But I have no confidence in this team right now. No confidence. As a Pirates fan, I'll root for them. But I don't know what to think. And, and please, stop with the fire, Willard. All right, I'm one of those fans who... It took me years to warm up to Willard. I was critical of Willard. Get him out. He's had five years to recruit. I was one of those who was saying, go to Holy Cross. Let him go. All right, but he stayed in 2016. Pat Lyons had a vote of confidence in him. Willard probably said, hey, give me one more shot. And boy, did he deliver with the Big East Championship. Okay, so this team, Kevin Willard, has done what only one other coach, P.J. Carlissimo, has done in the history of Seton Hall being in the Big East for 40 years, all right? He has brought this team to a level that is unprecedented other than P.J. Four straight NCAA tournament appearances. It would have been five last year. Five straight 20-win seasons. That's never been done. All right? But there have been head-scratching years. I know, 2012, losing to Rutgers, losing at DePaul. 2015, when, I mean, you talk about a dysfunctional family. Uh, that was just atrocious. What happened to Seton Hall in January and February and March. But losing four games like this down the stretch... It has never happened this late in the season, this type of collapse, this late in the season. 2015 was, was worse in terms of just, you know, the chemistry and the freshman class, butting heads with Jaron Cena and Sterling Gibbs. And I mean, I'm surprised, you know, there weren't fights on the court. Okay, but there's none of that with this team. There's no infighting. It's just a team that is just totally lost its way and lost its confidence. So, look, Willard's coming back, and it's all about recruiting with him, right? Next year's class is, is his second-best recruiting class on paper. Ryan Conway, Brandon Weston, Isaiah Powell. But after that, I mean, the cupboards, I don't know who's coming back. Maybe you have a fifth-year senior come back. Does Kale come back? Does Reynolds come back? I mean, those will be worked out, but... 
There's one sophomore on this roster who plays anything, Tyrese Samuel, and, and he's still developing. There's two freshmen, one, Dominguez Stevens, who, who's only been in garbage time, and two, Jahari Long, who clearly Willard has no confidence in. I mean, he's come out and said it. We have to play him more minutes than we wanted to, right? So who knows if either of those freshmen are back. I mean, you cannot have back-to-back -back recruiting classes like this when you're coming off the success that Seton Hall has had since 2016. You cannot have recruiting classes like this. All right, that's why next year's class is so important and so critical for Kevin Willard, okay? But it's recruiting that's put him in this situation. Can you get somebody in the transfer portal? Of course, Willard always does it, but you can't keep doing that. How did call Molson work out in the transfer portal? Great for about two weeks. Listen, Seton Hall, I don't know if they're gonna make the NCAA tournament or not, we'll see. We'll see if they have something left in the tank and they can suddenly flip on that switch and beat St. John's, but I give the advantage to St. John's without question. All right, whoever wins that game, by the way, will get a Villanova team with no Colin Gillespie and likely no Josh Moore. So one of these teams, if they're playing right, could find themselves in the Big East Championship game on Saturday night. I would not be shocked if that happened. But nobody in the Big East is playing hotter right now. It's playing better basketball than UConn, all right? They have won four straight. James Booknight is healthy. Okay, they have won, they've lost only one of their last seven games, and that was when Booknight returned against Villanova. Will he win Big East Player of the Year? No, it will probably come down to Sandro Mamakalashvili and Jeremiah Robinson are all from Villanova. My vote would be for Robinson Earl. But in my mind, James Booknight is the best player in the Big East. Okay? He's likely a lottery pick if he leaves this year as a sophomore. They have the best backcourt in the Big East. All right, sorry, Creighton. James Booknight and RJ Cole right now, give me them. With all due respect to Zegarowski and Bollock and company. I love Book Night and Cole. RJ Cole. I mean, hello, right? He goes to Howard, lights it up at Howard for two years. Former St. Anthony's product. Always wanted to go to UConn, right? That was his dream. Went to the Jim Calhoun basketball camp as a kid. Man, that is a great story. He goes in this year and just proves that he is a Big East basketball player. They have the best sixth man in Tyler Polly. They have the co-defensive player of the year, as I already mentioned, in Isaiah Whaley. Two and a half blocks a game, six rebounds a game. Polly, Whaley, both seniors. They have depth. And they have my favorite player in that team, Adama Sinogo. Every game this guy plays, he gets better and better. And... That knife in my back as a Seton Hall fan just keeps twisting and twisting because he was, he was going to Seton Hall. He was going to Seton Hall. And then at the last minute, goes to UConn. Wow, what a get for Dan Hurley.
Dan Hurley couldn't wait to send that tweet out, right? What a star in the making Adama Sonogo is going to be. I mean, do you look at him? I mean, he is chiseled at 18. He is a man-child. He's still learning how to play the game. I wouldn't want to guard him. Man, is he strong, and he's got moves, and he battles, and he gets putbacks, and he gets rebounds, and he does the dirty work, and they're not afraid to call his number in the post. And by the time he's a junior, Adama Sonogo will be a national household name. He may be that next year. And what UConn is doing right now, did you see the defense they played against Seton Hall? My God, they are the best defensive team in the Big East. I love the way they get at it. Love the way they get at it. And that is a Hurley trademark. So UConn gets the winner of Providence DePaul, which, by the way, I mean, that's going to be Providence, let's face it, right? And Providence, listen, Ed Cooley... You know, this team was counted out a while ago, and and they have been playing better of late. They beat Villanova. I don't care. You know, listen, they didn't have Gillespie. We know that. Moore got hurt, but they won. And this team has an NBA player in David Duke. Watson is a beast, okay? I can't wait to see Watson go up against Adama Sinogo and Polly and Whaley and company. Man, that's going to be fun. That is the late game on Thursday. The winner of that game would play Creighton. And look, who knows what's going to happen with Creighton. I know they won their last game. Blew out Butler on senior night. Zegarowski went for over 30 points. But that is a distraction with Greg McDermott. The comments he made telling his team they had to stay on the plantation. Whew! I don't, listen, I don't know what Greg McDermott was thinking. I don't know where that came from. I don't even know why he would even reference something like that. Everywhere Creighton goes, what do you think the first question is going to be at a press conference? It's not going away. They're all going to be answering questions about what he said. So I don't, I don't know what you're going to get out of Creighton, but I know what you're going to get out of UConn. I know that you don't want to play this team right now. And right now, as of this podcast taping, my pick for Big East Tournament champion is UConn. Villanova is without one, if not two stars. Creighton has a distraction in Greg McDermott. The toughest game is always the first game. All right, it's UConn's first return to the Big East tournament since 2014. 2013 was the last time UConn played in a Big East tournament. 2013. That's eight years. So maybe there's nerves in the first game. Maybe Providence, hey, it's one game. Maybe Providence pulls off the upset. But if UConn wins that first game and they'll be favored, and I think they will, they will be cutting down the nets Saturday at Madison Square Garden. So when it's all said and done, I still believe the Big East will get four teams in the NCAA tournament. There's three teams already a lock, right? 
Nova, Creighton, UConn. Never before in the history of the Big East tournament, all right, since it's been reconfigured, the new Big East, the new, new Big East, when it was reconfigured in 2013-14, the least amount of teams they have had in the NCAA tournament has been four, and that's happened twice. Okay, I still believe they will get four teams in. So you're looking at Nova, Creighton, UConn, and one of the next three, Xavier, St. John's, or Seton Hall. Could they get five? It's a great question. Could they get five? Well, if, if St. John's wins, right, and then maybe gets to the final, and Xavier beats Butler, yeah, maybe. But I'm going to go in the middle. I'm going to take the middle and say the Big East gets four teams in. All right, and that that's a prediction. And that is a wrap on the first episode of the Tri-State College Basketball Report podcast. Had a lot of fun talking college hoops in the Tri-State. And we'll do it again next week. My name is Brian DeNovellis. Thanks so much for listening. Remember, you can follow all my tweets on Twitter, at Brian Dino, B-R-Y-A-N-D-E-N-O. Enjoy the basketball all week long. I'll return with another podcast next week. We'll recap all of the games from the Big East and the Big Ten tournaments with our local teams in the tri-state area. Hey, we'll see maybe, maybe we even get a team from the MAC. Maybe we get Monmouth or St. Peter's. You never know. All right? And if they're in, we'll be talking about them too because this is the Tri-State College Basketball Report. I am Brian DeNovellis. So long.